Good afternoon and welcome to Open Air and good afternoon Ashwini. Hey Michael. Hi Ashwini. Ashwini, I was reflecting today how great it is to have dedicated times for practice. Like we have the weekday mornings for the year-long retreat and we have Tuesday afternoon or whatever time Tuesday for open air. And it's just great to have that schedule, that consistency. Yeah, I love it. Ashwini, I cannot hear you if you're there. Oh, I, I was talking. I was just agreeing with you. And Michael, I can hear an echo, so maybe something is not muted on your end. Um, everything is the same here. Perhaps it'll go away. We can okay. hope. Yeah, okay. uh, I was just agreeing with you how important it is to have uh, times that we touch into practice as part of our day because otherwise, as we know, the day can, the whatever is scheduled can overtake overtake us and erode that time for practice. So it's always good to have it scheduled. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Take the unpredictability out of it. Yes, yes. It just reminds me of the schedule of being at the monastery on mm -hmm. retreat. This is the time we meditate. This is the time we have group. I don't need to have a mental conversation about it. <laughs> yeah. And I have an announcement here. Oh, wonderful. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome. If you're already meditating in the morning or wish to start, enjoy the extra support of meditating with Sangha with virtual meditation groups. The 30-minute conference call meditation sessions happen seven days a week. And for a complete schedule and for other practice opportunities, visit livingcompassion.org. And a few reminders for today's show. If you'd like to get in the queue to talk with Ashwini, please press star six and then one to make the show and a conversation on one topic in about five minutes would be great. Okay, I think we're ready here, Ashwini. Excellent. First caller, you are now live on the air, and would you please introduce yourself? Hi, it's Emily from Seattle. Hi, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Um, well, I've been talked out of calling into open air for a really, really long time. Um, and I was just, as I was working up the courage today to do it, I, um, you know, I realized I really needed the support. And um, that, um, and then I realized why I was getting talked out of it too, because I was just trying to work through that block. I, you know, I I started to soften and feel the tears come, and it's, you know, it was because I was listening to that instead of the voice that said not to call in. Uh -huh. Listening to what? What, Emily? I was listening to that um, urge to 
call in and mm. be self-caring in that way instead of listening mm-hmm. to the voice that doesn't want me to call in and and get support because mm-hmm. it just has, I mean, it just um, mm-hmm. wants me to stay mm-hmm. suffering and silent about yes. it. That's right. And that, that's such a powerful shift, right? So when we get in touch with that urge, that guidance from life that says what you need is to connect, right, to get assistance, mm-hmm. to take care of yourself, and that's the voice that we're listening to, we, we end up, as you said, tears, gentle, softening, and love becomes our, our process rather than the self-hate that says you have to stay with me and suffer and you can't get any assistance. So it's, it's really light room and dark room experience, right? And so we train ourselves to notice when there's that brittle hardness, that defensiveness or that uh, I, I, resistance would be a good word of saying, good word to explain the difference between resistance and love, right? One's a hard process and the other's a soft process. And to recognize that when I feel hard, I'm subject to that self-hate. And if I pay really close attention, pick up the recorder or however you did that, uh, getting to listen to the to the guidance, to the to the urge that wants you to get the support and take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I've just, um, I feel right now like um, all that pain from how mean the voices are and how mm. hard it is to live in that kind of torture yes. of what they, yes. what they do. Exactly. So, and I would encourage you, Emily, to just look at that from the perspective of tremendous compassion for any human being caught in the loop of the conditioning, right? When we disidentify, we can see what a horrible place that is, and that leads to that conviction, that uh, inspiration to keep practicing to choose compassion instead of letting the person suffer. But to go to a place of to go to a place of conviction around choosing something other than suffering, rather than regretting the fact that it didn't happen sooner, or mm-hmm. oh my God, I have to suffer now the pain of someone who went through that for so long, right? Because that's the slippery slope of getting right back into the conditioned process. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do that. No, um, no we don't, do we? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's around parenting, and it's just a place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked on it a lot, where conditioning can get me in a lot of different ways. And um, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I mean, I, I feel... No, I don't even know how to talk about it because it just feels like it's self-hate. <laughs> I mean, it's a, the, like whenever I get angry at, at my son, he's 15, there's so much hate of like, uh, like I don't even know how to feel like a healthy burst of anger. I just feel like I'm this terrible, terrible person 
when it's like mm-hmm. I don't even feel angry. It just if I'm if I get angry, it turns right into self hate and hate. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. this is think you are a terrible, nasty, ugly person, and I just yeah. Mm-hmm. So let 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 me ask you a little bit about that, Emily, because I think if I may reflect, what you're seeing about the process currently is simply that when you get triggered, it's an instantaneous mm-hmm. identification with being the absolutely with self hate. So the self hate is accusing you of being whoever you are that you're not. Right? That's clear. Mm-hmm. And so what that does, if we go with the self hate is the inability to look at what's really going on for me that I get triggered, right? And so mm-hmm. do you have a sense, that if you've recorded about it, what happens to you, what, what's, what is it that's going on for you before the self-hate? Um, like when I'm getting angry? So give me an example mm-hmm. of what happens that causes you to get angry? Um, oh, my son's not doing his schoolwork. He's on his phone, and I um, feel like I can't make him, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how can I make him do that? There's, yeah, I mean, there's conversation of, like, it being my uh-huh. fault, I'm like somehow yes. not making it work yes. out. Yes. So feel a, a sense of helplessness, perhaps, a sense of frustration yeah. that you can't change, uh, a sense of uh, anxiety for his future well-being. There's so much that's underneath those simple self-hating words, right, in terms of the emotion. And so mm-hmm. once you recognize that, once we've recognized that there's self-hate there, I can actually then pick up the recorder and get in touch with what goes on for me because I suffer, all of my suffering is what I need to transcend, not the content of whatever it is that's going on. So perhaps, perhaps mm-hmm. you can do that. Perhaps you can pick up the recorder and do a two-handed recording to get in touch with what's going on for you. Why is it such a big deal uh, mm-hmm. that your son is looking at the phone and you can't get him to change and whatever the conversation is about is at the content level. So can you use the recording and listening mm-hmm. practice to, to get one level below that and really get in touch with why are you being tortured by the voices around this content? Yeah, yeah, it feels really like it's it feels really like it's two different things like there's the issue of just um trying to well, solve the problem, like get him to do his homework. And then there's the issue of just how bad I feel. And sometimes right. those get yeah. smushed together so that it's hard to um, help him and be be effective when I'm That's just right. in this yeah suffering place. Yeah, it's hard but, to, yeah, yeah, it's hard to be it's hard to help him and it's hard to be effective. And yes, yeah, so what what does that mean if you can't do that? 
you can examine why you're required to do that. You can, you can explore why, how accepting that you, you may not be successful or may not be effective, what does that mean for you? And can you be all right with that? Right? There's so many dimensions to this that can be explored if we don't stay in, I'm a bad parent and I should be doing all of these things, or I have to solve a problem that may not be solvable by me, within quotes, and therefore I have to get past me to help life give me an answer. And, and the answer might be solving the content, or it might just be accepting where, where you are and where he is, and the only difference could be whether or not you're suffering as a result. And so it's, a, it's an exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would project, right, Emily, that, that the exploration, it's not about me. We have to get to that place of it's not about me. It's not about his inability to do his homework may not have anything to do with you. That's so hard right. for me to take in. That is so well, that's why, that's why I'm not asking you to take that in. I'm asking you to explore it, that place for yourself, because there's a process place that will be uniquely for you that will come out of that process. I don't know what it is, and you clearly don't know what it is yet, but we're going to be stuck. We, get, we tend to be stuck in our own process in that suffering loop unless we're ready to go in and explore the landscape. Mm-hmm. But the way so we're when, conditioned to work it is I have to solve the problem. And if I don't solve the problem, I have to be frustrated and angry and uh, feeling victimized by the situation and feeling that I'm an ineffective, horrible parent. Those aren't your two choices. <laughs> so what was the other choice again? <laughs> to the, the, uh, the other choice is to, yes, it's freedom from the conditioned trap. And so... What does that freedom look like is, is something that you arrive at by using it as a workshop and recording and listening about, about it and getting to whatever insights that will set you free. Mm-hmm. So, just, so taking that anger or helplessness, anger, and using that as an opportunity to um, record and listen about it and see what's underneath that and then yeah. kind why, of why is it about you yeah. yes i mean or how does ego make it about itself really is the is the is the way we would phrase it but you're in it identified with that with egocentric karmic conditioning self-hate so it feels all about mm-hmm. me and so that's why it's a two-handed recording right because in that place you can explore it at the fir- at the first layer of just the content and what the voices are saying and doing and then you can look at the emotion, and then you could look at the beliefs. You could process map the whole thing and record the whole record about what you see in all of that. We have all these tools that allow us mm-hmm. to go into the depth of our experience rather than stay stuck in the surface of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of it is like I'm so desperate to solve the problem so that the feeling will go away, the terrible feeling will go away. 
Yes, or ego is so invested in you focusing on the raw, on the pro- content being the problem and not ego being the problem or identification right. with the problem that it's right. not going to let you do that, right? Right. Just yeah. just the way you started us off. I have been talked out of getting on the show because if I did, I would get the support that I need. So what I need to tune into is is the is the voice that urges me to call in, not the voice that urges me not to call in. And in this situation, the wisdom in the moment is something you cannot hear because ego is drowning it out. The program is drowning it out. So you need to make the investment in your well-being to get to the bottom of it and find out what's going on for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do some delving. Thank you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Ashwini, I heard you use the word explore in that conversation many times, and that seems really helpful to explore these processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Ashwini, we're going to break for a good news update, and then we'll come back and talk with more callers. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Okay, Jen, I'm turning it over to you. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. So welcome to Good News Updates with Living Compassion, and I'm so pleased to welcome back Sister Phil, who is here to continue the fabulous conversation about monastery history. Welcome back, Phil. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for inviting me back. Yeah, well, it's so fun, and there's so much to it, Phil. And uh-huh. if you have a place you want to start, I'm absolutely, I want you to do that. I'm, I'm open to it. E- One e- thing that's okay, dropped yes. in for Oh, do you have a place? You, you, had, mentioned, you had mentioned the rammed earth. Is that what you... you yeah. We well, that about. was one of them. Yep. I, I have an endless supply, Phil, so let's just go for it. I know. <laughs> I do, too. I rammed just earth. Maybe that one. Because it yeah. kind of comes yeah, after the one. next step. You know, we we opened the monastery or started, you know, living there. Um, I think it was 1995 or 1996. And it took us four to five years to even get ready to start building that building. You know, because we had to start get all the hermitages built and the water and you know all those things we've been talking about, and um, it was uh, I don't even know remember who came up with the first heard about rammed earth or came up with the idea of a rammed earth building, um, but that's what we settled on, and um, it was uh, it's an amazing. It was an amazing project. It took us, I think, seven years to build that building and finally get it, um, you know, approved and all that. Um, and we, which we, we I don't know if you're going to go into some of the detail, but it's phenomenal that I mean, what was accomplished in order to do that? The detail work, the knowledge is incredible. Seven years. It is nothing. It is incredible. Yeah. And what what we did was we found um, some people up there, some men up there, I think it was all men, who built rammed earth buildings. And okay. uh, um, so we asked them to come and teach us. And the mm-hmm. first 
what the building we built with them as our training building was um, the Earth House, you know, down below. Is that what you still call it? Um, yes, yeah. Down, down at the yep. bottom? Yeah. Way down and, at the, the bottom of the property. Uh-huh. Right. And that took quite a while, but it was a wonderful training, and we learned how to do it. Now, you, you have to picture there's like five, four or five of us, I don't remember, plus Sherry, you know. And um, so the next thing we did, and this is the funny thing to me, anyway, remember the, uh, well, you know, the um, uh, greenhouse. So that was going to, that was our practice building. And the interesting thing was that we didn't have any uh, electrical things at that point. The guys must have brought in their own because you have to, you ram the earth with like a jackhammer, only it has a flat edge instead of pointed edge. And um, so we didn't have that. We We had this long bar with a flat edge at this point. Uh-huh. And we actually uh-huh. uh, ran that building, you going to call it that way, uh, built that building uh-huh. uh, by hand, so to speak. Uh-huh. And I don't remember if it's... So took camping a, it down with a hand By hand. Where you normally... With a, wow. Yeah, a big uh-huh. hand, hand like, kind of like a digger thing with a point, but it had a flat thing. Yeah. You know, great, uh-huh. he- heavy uh-huh. bar, heavy bar. A heavy so, bar, yeah. Yeah, we we built that, and uh, I don't know how many, if it took a few days or what, but I just remember the last day where we were so tired. It was evening, and we just wanted to get it finished, and we were so tired that it took two of us to even raise the the, the tool and slam uh-huh. it down, you know. Uh-huh. And but we that, but we did it, and that was our yeah. practice building because the hard part of rammed earth besides ramming it is the getting the clay the earth just right mm. and the the beautiful thing about that building that we always like to say the big building is that it was mm-hmm. built with the dirt that we uh moved aside to make to make the the, the flat you know the foundation the foundation, yeah. The foundation. Yeah. yeah that is remarkable and, that is yeah, absolutely. It's, because, I mean, the rammed earth walls are, I don't even know, how, I mean, how thick are they? They're incredible. They're a foot thick. thick, I believe. Foot thick, yeah. A and, foot thick, um, and we're talking about a building that, I don't even know, right, you know, 30 feet on one side, you know, just for the meditation hall and another whatever feet for the dining hall. And, I mean, it's a huge amount of rammed earth. Well, yeah, the ramming of the earth of the building, the first part must mm-hmm. have taken us four or five years, and mm-hmm. um, and during the the well, how we did it, you know, used plywood because um, the the panels were eight, no four, four by eight feet, and okay. um, you probably have pictures of the way we did it. I won't go into mm-hmm. all of that, but we just rammed the first part. By now mm-hmm. we had uh, a generator or, or an elect, uh, you know, something that motorized ram rammer. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and generator because at this point you didn't have a whole solar system, right? And there was so there no, was literally no power unless no. you no. you no electricity. Yeah. 
I don't think wow. we did. No, because that came out oh, after, right. or with the building, yeah. So, yeah, yeah we had the um, the uh, generators, and, and we rammed those. We, you know, rammed the first four feet, and then we'd have uh-huh. to build and scaffolding, put the the uh, next set of plywood on top of that, and then ran the uh, last four feet. So we ended up eight, the walls were like eight feet, and this was before the, uh, you know, redwood that went around it. And But anyhow, we did it all in all those years. The corners were the hard part, and I was the only one small enough to fit in the corners. <laughs> so I had to go down into And you know what, Phil? The corners are corners. beautiful. I'm sitting looking at two of the corners right now, and they're absolutely perfect and beautiful. Yeah, they do. And to they think they that those corners okay. are going to live on, go to the next group <laughs> of folks who are going to love this building, right? One yes. of the things I think Ashwini yeah. said in one of the updates was, how the Miwok, who are going to be sitting in this building before long, are calling it the Lodge. And all yes, that work that, that so all of you did beautiful. is going mm-hmm. to live on in that way. And, you know, Phil, as you're talking, one of the things that just I so love about the process I always have is that you just did it. <laughs> you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine after, after see, just making that little greenhouse, seeing how much work mm-hmm. was involved, you then took on this gigantic building all with this small group of people, and you just did mm-hmm. it just day after day after day after day. You just yeah, kept going, our, and you created this work, beautiful monastery. Yeah, and it's, it was our, our working meditation. And we had working, yeah. uh, like we do now, working meditation retreats, and then that's when the Sangha would yeah. come in and help us, especially yeah. with pores, because I left out the whole year or two we had to do the um <laughs> dig all the trenches for the and the rebar oh, and yeah. all that you know for the the the, the uh, underneath it yeah and um right so but then and then there was the roof we actually put the on roof. the roof of the oh a whole meditation and dorm we didn't sherry didn't want us to do the the uh, cathedral roof or whatever you call it of the kitchen so we had uh-huh. people doing that that roof, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. but we did the rest of the roof and at all the rafters. You could tell the difference. And, I did all the rafters and the roof, the the, ti- the tiling, and then you we put did the tile, yeah. The, we did, I think no, we had a tiling people come for the tiling. Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't think we did that. <laughs> oh. But we did all yeah. the floor tiles. Tiling. Oh, no, we oh. had, we had and a, you know what, Phil? We had somebody schedule. I mean, I don't part even, of it. We did. Mm-hmm. We are we Go are ahead. trying to fit in hours and hours and hours and days and months and years, years of incredible work into minutes here. <laughs> All these good news updates. Exactly. I don't know how we're going to do it. But the tiles. I'm sorry, Phil, but the tiles is going to have to have its own space another time because that is, there are <laughs> such good stories around the tiles. Oh, yeah. it, it is the tiles, the bathrooms, all of it. It was just an amazing yeah. experience. And I loved every minute of it. And it was a lot, not only hard work, but the love that went into the building. We all did. Yeah. We just put so oh, much we love as we, as we built it. Yeah. We can feel it. So anyhow. We can feel it. And you know what, Phil? 
one of the things, at the end of There Is Nothing Wrong With You retreats, we would have people fill out evaluation forms to help us with, you know, how did the logistics go and, you know, the food and just mm-hmm. to help us, you know, get a read on how things went for people. And one of the things that we would always hear in that and unsolicited last evening testimonials from people, always so people would say, you can feel the love in this place. You can feel mm. it. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced yeah. that that's because of the process you described. Everything about this process, about this practice has always been practice, including those literally thousands of hours of working meditation that created this monastery. Yes, yes. And, and still be, you know, until we're moving, uh, still oh, putting exactly. all that love into it, to keeping it up. Exactly. And the love in the, in the past boxes. there's so much love in all of this it's all coming with us we're not i mean luckily there's plenty we can leave lots behind and take lots with us yeah yeah so but truly phil such a a a deep out of gratitude oh oh my gosh yeah for all of us all of us yeah and so much of sangha that helped you know uh not only help physically but with financially and all that yeah that's right that's it that's it everyone played their part everyone it's like we always say you can't Mm -hmm. you you know every single person is needed and truly this monastery is what it is because of every single person's contribution who has been part of the sangha in any way Mm -hmm. over all of these years Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. it's very true very true well so someday somebody will have to help us Help us write a book. Uh-huh. As, um, I was just thinking, yeah, So in some way, yeah, we're definitely not finished with talking <laughs> the process <laughs> of the history of this place. There's there's a lot in it, but it is thank lot. you for being with us to continue oh, the Oh, my pleasure. Really thank you. It. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Phil. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. And Michael, we'll turn it back over to you and Ashwani. Wonderful. Thank you, Jen, and thank you, Phil. And welcome back to Open Air. And Ashwini, I heard a lot of love, and I heard a lot of persistence in that conversation. Well, I'm just completely stupefied. I mean, <laughs> it just it, it is so the essence of, of practice, right? Because it doesn't matter if it takes 10 years. What else would I be doing than what I'm doing now? I mean, it's just remarkable. It just, uh, it moves me to tears. And, 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 it, and there's a way in which that love is, as Jen said, is visible uh, in how the monastery, we're leaving the monastery. Every single thing, I mean, the, the process that the monks are doing in order to pack and leave that place. I mean, if you walk into the monk shed today, which is where all the supplies are kept, there's a bunch of things that are coming with us. But everything that is, is staying behind is just beautifully arranged, mm. lovingly left behind. I mean, yeah. truly, when we leave the monastery, it, it would be no different than if the monastery were still operating. That's, mm. th- there's no difference in the love and the attention and the care that's, um, that's visible on that property. Every single person who walks on it embodies it. It's, it's just... It's just truly, truly um, uh, an embodiment of this practice. And, and I think that that's one of the things that, uh, that, that hopefully will steward on in the, that 
we definitely will steward on in the next place, but it's a legacy that we all carry in our training, and that's our contribution to whatever we do. Yes. Yes, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's all correct. It is. The word is beautiful. I mean, so beautiful that it moves one to a place that we don't often touch into or come from until we spend those five years pounding rammed earth to put up a building or do what the monks are doing right now in putting things back into their, in moving, in leaving without a trace. Yes. There's such a level of participation involved that is just truly magnificent. Mm. Yes. Yes. And we have another caller here. Okay. Next caller, you are now live on the air, and would you please introduce yourself? Um, hi, this is Kelsey in Santa Rosa. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Kelsey. Um, hi, Ashwini. I'm totally surprised. I just thought I got in the queue late, and I went in, but I really didn't expect to get on. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Boy, I haven't listened to the, I I just haven't done anything with practice in a long time and just suddenly got the reminder and got on and thought if I got on, maybe I should get in the queue. So here I am. Mm -hmm. Well, if you, it's what we're talking about with our earlier caller. When there is the urge that calls us to participate, we say yes. Yes, and I've been saying no so much that I thought I had better maybe start practicing yes. <laughs> I just feel like I've been saying no to so many things in my life. Um, I've just I've been through a rest spell, so um, and just you know, then I don't know how to get myself out of it, but it's really just one step at a time. Um, I just feel like, um, I don't know, I've had ongoing grief about a big thing that happened in my life quite some time ago, and an incident way back in October just kind of set it all off again, and sometimes I get just tired of sitting with the feelings because they're so uncomfortable, and I feel like then I just kind of go to a lot of addictive behaviors to numb out. So I just feel like I haven't even been here the majority of the time lately. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you can clearly see the process, though. Is that true, Kelsey? Uh, it's a repeating pattern. Yeah. That the, the, there's a, a trigger. There's a spiral yeah. of feelings. The feelings yeah. become really, really uncomfortable. And then we go into addictive, addictive behaviors till... Yeah. Uh, Till there, you've till there's the urge to practice again or to do something else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and this was kind of, I guess, a long spiraling out of it because it is a pattern. It's kind of a lifelong pattern. I think I don't know if it's life. It's certainly been true these last few years. Um. Mm-hmm. So I think through practice, some of it was kind of accepting that, and that sometimes. Sometimes I'm able to be present, and then sometimes I just check out, back out and um, and trying to, I guess, 
um, well, that I, I think of the beating cycle thing, just, you know, trying at least not to beat myself up for being in that place. Um, or or another like, way of saying is not beating yourself up, but not indulging the self-hate. And I think you're talking about the battering cycle, mm-hmm. right? So there's this, there's yeah, this whole thing, yeah, there's about the feeling the bad, cycle. and then there's the decision to be perfect, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't even... I don't know, just, it sometimes feels like I won't ever feel better. And, mm-hmm. you know, at some point I was just trying to accept that mm-hmm. and, and, and realize that there's a way I can go on anyway. But I think, I think the ego is trying to sell me a, a bill of goods there. Um, you know, that... Mm-hmm. Um, well, go ahead. What what what's the what is it that it's trying to sell you? Just this idea that I won't ever feel better. That there's really not a way out of this. Mm-hmm. And when you say you would feel better, is there a, is there a particular content around which feeling better is conditional? Um, On which well, feeling better is conditional. Yeah, I think it's it's partly just um, I have a lot of grief around the way the family fell apart. There was it involved a really pretty nasty betrayal. That I think there's a there's some part of me that just feels like, well, that happened because you know of unworthiness. You know, and looking at it objectively, it's that's not true at all. I didn't deserve this. But um, but I feel like there's some part so, deep in there that I think I did. Or like, yeah, I guess well, there's the whole, you know, there's something wrong with me kind of thing. If I had been a different right. person, this betrayal wouldn't have happened. Or, um, and I just feel like kind of feelings of grief and anger have gotten really stuck. And and so Kelsey, and I think and then it's, yeah, it sounds like you're disidentified enough to see to see this. So I'm going to ask you the question, right? Which uh-huh. is the 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 there's a conversation happening that says this is this is your fault. If you had been a different person, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, you're believing that and then feeling what is what is termed as grief or anger. And then yeah. there's, the, uh, there's the, the feeling terrible because the sensations in your body as a consequence of the story are uncomfortable. And so then yeah. there is the, okay, you will never get out of this because you'll never feel better. And then that produces even more, even more a sense of hopelessness. But can you yeah. see that the entire, entire process and, and of course, when you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to, but I, I believe you have disidentified enough to see that all of it is just simply the conversation. Yeah. Grief is being produced yeah. by the conversation. Anger is being produced by the conversation. Yes. The feeling of hopelessness and despair is being 
generated by the conversation. And that's, that's something you can see, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it's and, true I mean, what I think, it's saying. You're never going thing. to feel better. I think because it's hard... true. Go ahead. I think what's hard is the persistence of, of these thoughts and things. Like when I'm really being alert and present, I just keep like dropping it and letting the feeling pass through and dropping it. It just it got so re-stimulated that it felt like a thousand times a day I was doing that. And if I wasn't on my toes, then I would be going along finding I'd been carried off by this conversation. So I think there's a certain amount of frustration that I can't just stop those conversations and thoughts from coming into my head in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I, I mean, I, I, I think you've heard Cherry say that the reason she uh, attempted suicide was because of the voices in her head. So you're absolutely yep. right, um, Kelsey, that if, if we aren't alert every single moment, those voices are going to... Uh, continue to escalate. And so if I really want to be free of it, it is really challenging. Absolutely no denying that the the level of energy and effort it takes to keep the attention here, to not give any attention to the voices. And it does feel like we get frustrated and the numbing becomes an option. And then we get back and do the whole thing over and over again because because, as we say, and this is I, hopefully it doesn't sound harsh, it's just true, and it's something that you, I think, have accepted in the past, which is as long as I'm, I'm willing to suffer, I will. Because mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what it takes not to suffer is to choose yeah. not to suffer in every moment. And sure, we go under. Yeah. Absolutely. All of us do. And... Uh-huh. The, 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 it's a worthy opponent. So if it's going 24 hours, I'm going to have to uh, practice 24 hours. So I have to yeah. match the energy that it is, it's expending, equivalently yeah. or even more than that, right? And yeah. if I don't, there's, I don't, I'm not a bad person for not doing that, but there's an acceptance that, well, okay, this, is, this round I lasted... 20 minutes, and then it, got, it took me over. So next time, I'm going to go for 21 minutes. I like that. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And this time, I only did 10 minutes, but I did 10 minutes. So next time, I'm going to go for 11. But I'm never going yeah. to stop. I, well, that is the I'm thing. Never I mean, I never, defeat. I, yeah. nev- I never do. I mean, I stopped for a while, but so far, I, I don't ever just stop. I um, good for you. Good for you. I pick myself and, up and again. I, yes, and and I would encourage that it's very so. Shay often says, right? Redirecting the attention to the breath is is actually very difficult. Redirecting the attention to the moment is very difficult, especially if you've been doing it over and over again, and the voices are escalating and have lots of momentum and energy. And so yes. part of what we want to know is where we want to redirect the attention to. I choose unconditional love, not just as a mantra, but, but the experience of unconditional love or whatever it is that, that will support you to stay here and have has as much energy as 
the thought that wants to drag you under, right? So I yeah, can't will I myself think... to be present. I have to train the attention to remain here and stay here, and that's a very different thing. It takes a lot of years of practice to be able to do that without a tool of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that makes sense. So lots of compassion. I, yeah, because I think sometimes I think sometimes going with the suffering just starts to feel easier than the effort it takes right. to. Or, or we believe it does, right? Until you right, are right. in the middle of the abyss, and yeah, it's a, it, and that, that's why we often phrase it as um, the spiritual path is not. To, to have a happier, more comfortable ego, right? Right, right. We're going for true <laughs> yeah, freedom from ego. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I can, I can get relief from the ego at any time by numbing myself out, but that doesn't mean I'm free. And so as we right. go through these patterns over and over again, we get to a place in which I'm not willing to go, go through this process one more time. So I have to choose I feel I want to choose the harder way, hard for yeah. ego, but really not yeah. hard for the heart. Yeah, I think I've just been not very able to get in touch with my heart. It feels very defended lately. Yet, yet, yes. And so that's just, but you have now, right? You and I are having this conversation. You put yourself in the queue. You're back in the practice seat. Yes. Yeah. So more, more yeah. recordings and more training to be present. And in, within quotes, the good times, if I can develop the skills to stay present, then when the, the, the depression or the dark room hovers, I have a lot more to carry into that process than I did before. Yes, yes. You're absolutely right. It's a step-by-step, moment-by-moment choice with a very worthy opponent. That's the path you picked. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Ashwini. Thank you, Kelsey. Keep us posted. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Michael, too. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us, Kelsey. And Ashwini, what kept coming up for me is the courage the courage to show up and get in the queue and continue to practice even when those voices are awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And we have another caller here. Thanks, Michael. Next caller. You are live on the Would you please introduce yourself? Hi, this is Marianne. From Vancouver. Hi, Marianne. Hey, Marianne. I am so glad that you are doing this history of the monastery. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, I don't know. Oh, well, I feel more connected um, listening to what bravery and courage people (laughs) yes we have a lineage that we have to live up to right marianne yeah 
Well, and I also remember my own tiny contribution, which was taking oil on a tiny little piece of cloth and going around each tiny pane of the doors that were filled with window panes and oiling each and not getting mm. on the window. It was like so it was samadhi practice. It was concentration. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean, absolutely. Yes. It's that, that there's such care, right? I mean that that's what I heard. Such love, such care, such attention. And the, everything counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just remember the wood, like it was old and it was worn, but it was loved and it was oiled to keep it living. Mm-hmm. Oh, what, how wonderful. Yes, old and worn, but so loved and then oiled to keep it alive. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, the, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, the the thing that you're pointing at, uh, Marianne, is it's so organic, right? There's nothing, there's such an aliveness about the love that's in anything that's cared for. Yes. And, you know, it just gave me, um, well, just a little slice of what it must have been like for all of the years that people have put energy into that building because it was beautiful and it just feels so good that it's going to the right people. Yeah. Yeah. That in some way it may not be um, it, it may not be our lineage that carries on the love but the love is being carried on anyway. Yeah, and, well, but, you know, we're not separate. Mm-hmm. So the, the, our love is their love, and the, the planet benefits from it. And anyways, I, um, that's really all I have to say is just appreciation. For yeah. the monastery, yeah. uh, the way yeah. it has been handled and how it is worked out so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I love what you what point you're pointing to in that non-separation, right, Marianne? Which is it is it is built out of it's built out of love. And it's all our love collectively, whatever and however the form of the contribution. And it's going to probably be loved by the uh, new uh, occupants. And yeah. uh, it just feels um, so... It just feels so in a line, alignment with practice mm-hmm. that it... Mm-hmm. Um, you don't rush. There's no, The urgency doesn't drive you. You are able to... Wait with patience until the moment arrives and mm-hmm. act on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, if we're patient and we're not driven by ego urgency, then the perfect moment arrives. And just to pick up on what you're saying about the land will be loved, I, I think that that, I, I remember the, the tribal elder I was walking around with just said that. I, I, I said, what, is your, uh, what are you seeing for this place? And she said, to let the land live. And it's that same place of aliveness you're talking about, right? That the, the way in which we can be in a symbiotic experience, a relationship with something, if we see it as part of ourselves um, and tend to that flame that, of aliveness that animates it all, it's just such a, such a uh, it, it gives me that sense of continuity. Yes. In many ways, I am... Um, um, uh, well, I wish everybody, all the monks, a great move. <laughs> Thank you. It's coming up, Marianne. We're loading the trucks on Friday. <laughs> well, uh, I just wish you all the best and uh, gratitude for um, the opportunity I had to visit the monastery a couple of times. Thank you. And then we'll be very close to Vancouver. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying not to get ahead of there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Thanks. Got show. Yes, yes. Thanks for joining us, Marianne. And Ashwini, I'm going to bring on our next caller here. Next caller, you are now live on the air, and would you please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, this is Kim calling from Vashon. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ashwini. So I'm experiencing probably the biggest workshop of my life right now. And Ashwini, you and I spoke about it a little bit. We was at the end of a call um, a few mm -hmm. weeks ago. And um, it's a health workshop where... Um, I don't exactly know what's going on with my health, but I feel really horrible all day long. Um, and um, conditioning really, uh, really just gets me in its talons. Um, like with almost anything I do, unless I'm unless I'm working. When I'm working, I'm really present with my students and I can um, disidentify because I'm just really present with my students and just feel really kind of um, just despairing. Mm -hmm. And at, at the same so When you're not with your students, uh, so just, just to clarify that, right, Kim, so this feeling of, of feeling dreadful or um, not well is persistent, and the places you notice where you can disidentify or or have your attention here, right? There's a there's yeah. the ability to redirect the attention when you're working. Yeah. So is are you saying that there's a, a a physical level of discomfort, but there is also some suffering around it, but you're able to redirect the attention from the suffering when you're with your students, because even if the discomfort is there physically, the attention can remain anchored in something that's here. Yes, that, that is happening. That, that is mm -hmm. definitely happening. And, and the other thing that's happening is this very strange, I mean, it's not strange, it's kind of, 
it's it's like this this is how my life is right now there's no mm-hmm. like there's no future in in which it looks better at this moment and and in a way you know that's how life is i mean when i think about what happened in buffalo it's like people were just going to the store however they were and they were suddenly then they were killed and it's and so it it pops me it's not a conditioning it's more i i'm struggling with kind of making sense of the insight the insight is mm. that this is what i ha- this is what i have now and i want to be here and enjoying my life because it it might not it might be a of a it might never go away or i could die and you know thinking mm-hmm. about well the future of feeling better i'll be able to do this and that you know and so i i sort of get pulled back and forth with this inside i can't it's sort of comforting and sort of uh i don't know if it's helpful mm. well i i project that the insight was extremely helpful in the moment of the insight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so then I think what you're looking at is how to apply it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Correct? Right? Yes. Because the intention is, so it's true. This is, this is the life that I have. Now, this is the life that I always have. And the, within quotes, the challenge is always the same challenge, which is I can't, I, I, I'm not trained to be with it in whatever form it takes, right? There's a certain form with which I can be with it. Yeah. Like when I'm ta- uh, attending to my students or yeah. I practice doing that, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a way in which the, as you're looking at it and exploring it, right, Kim, the insight says this, this is what it is. And mm-hmm. my best opportunity is to be with it just the way it is as opposed to suffering over it, which is wanting it to be different than it is. And so yes. the clarity of the insight is this is the workshop in directing the attention. We may not be successful in that in every moment of your life because mm-hmm. in some places you're practiced with it and in some places you're not. Mm-hmm. And so then the tremendous compassion and the patience and the willingness to keep redirecting the attention to the moment mm-hmm. because there's nothing else you can do, right? Yeah. So this isn't going to go away. You don't know if it is. And uh, you can either suffer over it or not suffer over it. And that's the clarity. And then we bring a tremendous level of compassion to how we we choose that in every moment. And sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not. But that doesn't change my intention or my willingness to practice that application. Right, and I heard the pre- I heard the earlier caller that was sort of a similar, going through a similar, mm-hmm. you know, and and to to be able to to work the muscles. I guess it is unrelenting. It's like every piece mm-hmm. of clothing I pick up, it's like, well, that you wore that before when you were well, you know, and you'll never wear mm-hmm. it again when you're, you know, next time you're going to do, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's so nasty in that way that it, it again, exactly. It takes every every uh, shred of of practice yeah. and attention, and and yeah. I mean, is it okay? Like when I'm with my students, I I can feel like I can 
um, focus on them and and it feels really good. I mean, is that distraction or does it not matter? If I'm playing music, I can I can sort of be in the present more. And if I'm looking at beautiful right. things, and I mean, I can appreciate the insight. I don't know if it's ego or you know the insight of this is my life. Okay, there's a beautiful spring day. I'm just taking it all in because who knows, you know, what what my future is. So I have to take this in now. Well, I I think that last part. So again, Kim, only you will know, right? Because the the the, the answer to that is if you're in, and I think Sherry said it this on the morning show. If you're enjoying yourself, you're here. Okay. If you're not enjoying yourself, yeah. then, and I, and I don't mean that in being happy and, uh, yeah. and fluffy and frothy or any of those things, but you, you're practiced enough to know when I'm feeling here mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying the spring sunshine because I'm here versus mm-hmm. in a conversation about I should be here because I may not have any more time to live and therefore I better, need to, better enjoy the sunshine now, right? That's a very different experience. Yeah. And so don't indulge any conversation about how is it okay or not because that's just another conversation that wants you to question whether you're present or not, right? And that's just unnecessary. You don't want to give it any attention. And I don't know this, Kim, I don't know if this is your experience, but it's certainly mine that in, in places where uh, there's so much discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so example, or however, the example that you gave, which is to pick up a piece of clothing and a conversation comes in and says you're never going to be ever wear, ever wear that again, I would pick up my recorder and say, so I, I have my attention on these clothes. I just heard a voice say something about not uh, wearing them. I choose to have my attention on the way I'm folding these clothes or putting them away or appreciating the clothes for what, what they did for me. And I, what I love about these clothes or however you want the attention to be truly with the clothes. Attempting to do that in your mind is really hard. But Mm -hmm. verbalizing it, even if, I mean, I do it with the recorder all the time, walking around talking out loud. Because Mm -hmm. what is being with needs to be much more active than a mental redirection of the attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself looping back into that conversation and, and starting that spiral downwards into the suffering place, the, mm-hmm. the way you have enough energy to redirect the attention is to talk out loud. Because mm-hmm. then I'm actively here with, because if I have to talk about my clothes and what I love about them, what I was grateful for, um, how, I, how um, the, the, fun, the, the, the experience that I had wearing this to a, to a concert or recital or, and the color that it was, I can go on talking endlessly and be with my clothes and not indulge a moment's conversation that conditioning wants to butt in and have with me about the future or the past or the, my death or my health or anything else, mm-hmm. right? It's much more, mm-hmm. it's easier to train that way to be with something than to try to do it, oh, I need to redirect my attention from the conversation and 30 seconds or three seconds later, it's back again with something else that you can't do because you're not well. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay. Thank you. I think that that's a great assignment. 
And okay. I'm, I'm going to work with that. I think that that's very, thank you. I think that will be really helpful. Thanks, Kim. Thank you, Ashwini. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Special. Thanks for joining us, Kim. And Ashwini, the courage, the courage, it's extraordinary in Sangha. Yeah, it is truly extraordinary. It is extraordinary. And we are at the end of the show, so I want to thank you, Ashwini, and thanks everyone for being here tonight. It was fabulous. Indeed. Thank you, everyone, and go happy. And thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Go happy.